for June 22nd, 2009, it's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 51. We need a woman on this podcast. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I am your host, as ever, well, not as ever, as most of the time, Matthew Rather, and I am joined by the panel of overthinkers who will answer the question of the week. Uh, Favorite summer movie so far? What's been, you know, here we are halfway through the summer, or not halfway, uh, you know, we're into the summer. We've passed the summer solstice. I guess. Which is the beginning of the summer. Right. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> <laughs> So the days are the days are very long. Yes. Uh, and uh what's and Star Trek can't choose Star Trek cuz that's that's oh. that's the obvious answer. So uh the non-Star Trek best movie of the summer. And uh I have a feeling that we all three will, well all four of us will have the same one. Um so let's uh, let's get to it and see, uh, Mister Peter Fenzel. Hey, how's it going there, Matt? It's going well. How are you? Good, good, good. Now the answer I'm going to give you is up by Pixar and various um, Ed Asner's in it. It's a solid movie. I really liked it. Um, I, if I were going last in the list of overthinkers, I would pick Fast and Furious just to be contrarian. But since I'm first, I'll pick up because I feel like it's my civic duty. <laughs> oh, I didn't think of Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious was actually not bad. No. Oh, did, did you see the new one? I did. And oh, it actually made me it made me want to see so I Netflix the the original. Yeah. You know? And I you see I had not been up on the Fast and Furious uh you know canon. Right, right, right. If you Tokyo will. drifting, going too fast, too furious, all that such. Yes, no, I, I had not done uh <laughs> any of that. So yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad that Fast and Furious convinced me to look into those classics. Yeah, um, well, you know, going back and really examining the canon is really something that everybody should do at some point. In their that's lives. what she said. Oh, <laughs> I was watching Infomania. I was watching Infomania on current TV, and they had a review of the "That's What She Said" iPhone app, where it just you push a button and it says, "That's what she said." <laughs> I thought, how annoying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Mr. Mark Lee. Especially- oh, sorry. I was going to say, especially given iPhone app load times, you need to either always have it queued or get it from the menu and then unscroll and then wait for it to load and then push the button and then the moment's just, just lost. Then the, like moment, with, then the moment's like just gone. Unless, yeah, un- unless, oh. unless you have the new uh, 3GS. The S is for speed. The speed. S is for, yep. The S is for Steve. That too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark, favorite movie? Terminator Salvation, go- I know. <laughs> don't don't get me started. You really don't want to get me started again on this. Um, I'm going to go with a little-known DreamWorks animation, uh, independent film Down. That's our Jack Black as a, a smart-talking, sass-talking panda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still um, haven't watched that, by the way. It's in my room somewhere. I told you how everyone in my family got... Kung Fu Panda for Christmas, right? Oh yes, yes. I'm well yeah. familiar with that. <laughs> because your sister, it. it was such a, it was such a cathartic experience for her watching, uh, uh, watching Kung Fu Panda. 
Yeah, no, in fact, she's got a ma- she's got a master's and she's got degrees in like international relations and loves people from overseas. So uh, I'm sure that's why because it's it's so <laughs> accurate in terms of the experience of other cultures. Hey, speaking it's exactly of, oh, like, yeah. it's exactly like being an Asian person. Yeah, I'm butting into Mark's intro time, so I will step oh. aside and let Mark talk about his DreamWorks movie that he saw. <laughs> so, uh, since Pencil already took up, I'm going to go with the next best summer movie that I've seen, uh, which is Taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3. Um, I wouldn't put it nearly on quite the same level as Star Trek or Up, in terms of you know pantheon of, 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 of solid, great summer movie entertainment, but it was, uh, it was entertaining. It was certainly well-executed, and John Travolta is freaking crazy in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a liberal usage of the F-bomb. It's perhaps right up there with like the South Park movie and the Big Lebowski and usage and frequency of F-bombs per minute. Mm. So would you think the original title was something a lot more catchy than the taking of Pelham 123, but it had so many F-bombs in it that they had to change it to something more descriptive? Yeah, pretty much. It's basically, it was like F-U-U-F and F-F. It's like beep, 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 beep. Can you beep that out, Matt? <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll I'll make sure to do it. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'll make sure to take that out in post, Mister John Perich. What up? What up? What up? What up? That being uh, the so the work. Yes. No. Actually, no. So the only movie I've seen this summer is Star Trek in the theaters. That is. So to answer this question with oh, any someone's on the torrents, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to reach into the future and say Public Enemies, which by the time I've seen it in the theaters will have been my favorite movie of the summer. Uh, Johnny bold, Depp's perf- that is a bold prediction. Things can Johnny, be better than Johnny Star Depp's Trek. Performance what can be better Sorry. than Star Trek? Uh, I'll say yes, just because I mean, while Star Trek was fun, it. It was J.J. Abramsy in the way that J.J. Abrams movies are enough to occasionally yank me back out of it. Whereas Public Enemies, you know, being well, I'll save most of the talk for our summer movie preview. But yeah, so that yes, right. <laughs> he is confident. That is a confident, confident man who loves his Chuck D. That's what it's about, right? Chuck D. Yes, about yeah. Chuck D. and Flavor. And flavor plays <laughs> to, to stardom, yes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it because I know what time it is. And what time is it? Is a joke. It's game time. Huh. That's, that's from, that quote was from my favorite movie, Chicago Bills, Chicago Bulls 1994, NBA champions, Sports Illustrated, special commemorative edition. Um, what time is it? Game time. Huh. You know Boy! Boy! <laughs> Uh, and I, I have to say Terminator Salvation because it's the only movie other than Star Trek that I've seen. Uh, oh, except no, except for Fast and Furious. I saw Fast and Furious, and it was, uh, it was pretty damn good. I was surprised. Was it Fast and Furious? It was both Fast and Furious. Though I don't know if the Fury, you know, I don't know whose Fury it really uh, refers to. You know, it's not like the Rage of Achilles, son of Peleus. It's sort of like The Last of the Mohicans, where you think that Daniel Day-Lewis is The Last of the Mohicans, but really, since he's not a Mohican, it's his adoptive father who's The Last of the Mohicans. And he has a big speech at the end where he talks about being The Last of the Mohicans. Right. And you're like, wow, the title meant something totally different than what I thought it meant. And unlike (laughs) Samurai, in which, you know, it purports that Tom Cruise is The Last Samurai, and then I guess he actually is The Last Samurai. You know, that is an unfortunate title, because there was a very, very good book 
by a writer, a British writer named Helen DeWitt called The Last Samurai that came out um, two or three years before the Tom Cruise movie of the same name. And, uh, you know, and... And they're it, not related? No, they are totally not related. Oh, okay. Uh, it's about a kid who likes to watch old Japanese movies on, uh, you know, on television. I was talking today um, about another very unfortunately named movie, which I was being told was very good, though I have not seen it, which is the Sandra Bullock, um, uh, McNulty from The Wire romantic uh, movie, 28 Days. Um, have you guys seen this? No, I remember it. Yeah, I've never seen it. Well, I'm getting a phone call. Holy crap, I have to figure out how to turn my phone off. It's my new G1 phone, and I don't know how to silence it. <laughs> isn't so. that, wait, 28 Days, isn't that a Danny Boyle zombie movie? Yeah, no, no, no. It's a movie about people who fall in love going to Alcoholics Anonymous. But for some <laughs> reason, no, nobody is going to see it because they all think that it's a zombie movie and that they, when they want to get it, they'll get the zombie movie one. I'm going to turn my phone off because I don't want to un- interrupt the overthinking, and that was a crime, and that should not happen. So let me turn that off. My apologies. There we go. That it, yeah, no. We should edit Dominic that West. out. Yeah. No, no, I just say Dominic West is the name of the actor. And it was apparently like that's I just, I just oh, hear I thought that. you said Nick Nolte from The Wire. <laughs> I was gonna be <laughs> yeah, like Nick Nolte. Dude, Who's in the wire? Nick Nolte is not in the wire. <laughs> oh man. Are you sure? Did you watch it in real slow motion backwards? Because he pops up in like certain reflections. Uh, <laughs> and he says satanic things. <laughs> if, you watch, if you watch the wire backwards, if you turn the C D backwards while shining a laser on it and you stare directly at the reflection, Nick Nolte's face comes out at you and tells you bad things about Satan. <laughs> Amazing. Also, We're totally going to get sued by people who are staring at the laser and get blinded. <laughs> Do not stare at the laser. No, stare also, at the laser. Awesome. If you, if you watch The Wire backwards, it's the story of how drug-selling entrepreneurs come to Baltimore and, and lift it up out of poverty. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually, there's a, oh, who wrote it? There's a book called Time's Arrow, right, by, um, Martin Amos, British writer, another British writer. It's a night of British writers. Woohoo! Uh, Yay! No, um, <laughs> that is, uh, a, yeah, Martin Amos. That is about a Nazi doctor, right? And he, it's narrated in reverse, or he experiences his life in reverse. Like his life flashes before his eyes before he dies in reverse. And he, he doesn't, ex, he doesn't, uh, understand his later years in Britain when he was ripping people apart uh, and did it with such uh, you know, fervor and zeal as though he were trying to atone for something. But then he gets to his, uh, his later in the narrative, but earlier in his life days back in Germany when he's putting people together and ah, all's right with the world. Mm-hmm. So that was called Four Weddings and a Funeral, right? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 and I, I tried to find it, but I keep ending up with something that's totally different. <laughs> uh, all right, so we have incredible listener feedback, but we are going to skip it. Uh, because <laughs> well, no, we're not going to skip it. We're going to postpone it because we have been we've been going through our fantastic emails uh, and voicemails from readers, uh, and we haven't really gotten to any pop culture recently. So we said we're clearing the decks. It's uh, second half of the summer, summer movies, uh, and that's that's what it is. July and August, summer movies. Uh, but there's I have to mention that there is this email from uh, Amy from Germany. 
mm. who gives Hi, her, Amy. "Hey, Amy, what's going on? Glad you're glad you're listening." Who is not a service member herself, but uh, is married to a service member uh, who is currently serving in Iraq, and uh, actually, this this is not part of her her letter, but she invites us. We had talked about a pop culture care package, or I'd I'd said that people should. Uh, People should send care packages to the uh, to the members of the armed service in uh, in Iraq through and Afghanistan through the USO website. But she invites us actually to send. She says, "P.S. My husband Matthew sends his regards from FOB Caldwell near Kirkush. If you're interested in sending a pop culture care package to the guys, he is often tasked with mail delivery duties in his company. And so I hereby pledge that." We will send a pop culture care package to, uh, and not, I, I did one through the USO because, oh, what was I watching? Oh, Colbert Report, where he put a link up on the screen to something like that. And I, you know, I'm, a, I'm I guess, an easy mark because I was very sentimental about it and wanted to, you know, do something for those who are doing so much for me. And so I, you know, I did the USO care package thing. I, and I think you all should too. But... I, I pledge that overthinking it will send a care in a pop culture care package uh, to the guys, as Amy says. But I don't know what to put in it. So uh, if you know what we should put in our pop culture care package, please email us at podcastedoverthinkingit.com or call the voicemail, which is 20 eat log zero one. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Yes. Also- yeah. If you have other suggestions on what to put in our package, uh, email us or call us at the same contact info, and we will we will take it under advisement. Because we're <laughs> always looking for things to put in our packages. Yeah, we gotta we gotta make sure that they look good. You know that they look full. Yeah. You know people are really tempted to open them because uh, it's important. You know, I had someone tell me recently that we really need a woman on this podcast. <laughs> Wait, really? Be the case. Someone, yeah, someone told me. You said you get stopped on the street by people you know and said, hey, great podcast, Pete. Yeah, yeah. The people that I know in, in here in Boston do tell me that they love the podcast, but I've definitely heard that we should have at least one woman on it. And I call out Shane Amlowski to come out on the podcast, but if she's not going to do it, then maybe we need to find somebody else who will. Who among Ooh. the XXers is going to come into this lair and smack us around a little bit so that we don't talk about our junk all the time? All right. Yeah, you know yeah, what? <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say this. Let's do this in a Web 2.0 way. You know, we record Whoa, the, crazies. We, we record the podcast on Skype. Uh, we do it mm-hmm. on Sunday nights, and it's published Mondays. And uh, if you would like to be the pop culture maven woman on the podcast, or or more than one, you know they are fifty percent of the population. We could include as many as two on the we panel. Have been, we have been known to to take care of two girls at the same time here. <laughs> 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 But, but, remember when we had that time where we all had pizza and then there was two women and then we had enough for them too? That was what I was talking about. Not anything, that's what she I said. Don't, I, I don't remember that time, Max. So if you can, <laughs> if you can do a little five-minute segment uh, on why you should be the the regular female panelist – on the Overthinking It podcast, call the voicemail two zero three two eight five six four zero one and leave it uh, leave it on there, and we will we'll play them. And why don't we let the listeners vote? 
I mean, that sounds we'll, like a pl- we'll let the listeners vote, and then we'll choose who we want anyway. But, you know, <laughs> why don't we let the listeners vote? I like the Iranian way of deciding democracy as <laughs> And then if you if you have issues with our voting, you can communicate this to us via our Twitter account, you know, over tweeting it. Right. You can get your I saw the greatest tweet the other day which was Okay, wait. How is Ahmadinejad supposed to see the color of my Twitter avatar? <laughs> how is he supposed to he's see not, that it's green? Not. That's for the Ayatollah Khomeini, right? Because yeah. so uh, Ahmadinejad is not on Twitter, but the Ayatollah is. So that's we all know that's where the real power is. Oh, got it. Okay, wait, he really is on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Aren't you? You're not following him, like everyone he is. Goes by Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> <laughs> so just follow Ashton Kutcher to find out all the latest on hot, hot dictatorial action. <laughs> so. Yeah, but if you want to support the opposition in Iran, make sure that you follow the society uh, for it's – it's an Arabic word, but it, the, the, the acronym is S-H-A-Q. Um, so if you, follow, if you follow Shaq, follow Shaq on Twitter, uh, you'll learn all about how to fight against the right, evil but someone was, someone was impersonating the society, so it's actually the real Shaq. Uh, oh really? Yeah. Well, they, they, oh, it's good that they're able to dodge the dodge the powers that be, trying to shut them down and keep the keep Shaq from getting the message out. Right. Yes. So. Exactly. They they authenticated and and word is apparently following this this real Twitter feed that uh, that you know we're getting closer to a new vote and that Kobe Bryant is a possible reform candidate. Oh man, I don't know, man. Do you think Kobe Bryant can run run Iran without the support of Shaq? <laughs> it's it's tough to say, you know. People have doubted. People have doubted. Yeah, people have doubted. It's true. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, no, we shouldn't talk about sports. Actually, if you want to be the overthinking it sports correspondent and record a little package for the podcast every week that we'll put into our package, you can you can. Do <laughs> I like that. to put sports in my package. <laughs> hey, what I mean? Do you guys have any just off the cuff ideas? What what should go in the pop culture care package uh, for the the service members in? Iraq and Afghanistan. I was thinking if we could raid a a local, you know, like Target or something, and get some good but cheap DVDs, like the kind that are you know available for five bucks, and are are pretty good. I mean, no outright bombs, but you know, I've seen Mission Impossible three in the DVD bin for you know nine bucks, and that that I think is is roughly a nine dollar movie. Well, now keep people, in mind. Oh yeah, sorry. And people people would want to see it. Yeah. And keep in mind that at least my, my knowledge of this is that uh, the guys over there, they get access to DVDs by buying them at sort of the black market – like not black market, but at the sort of like the pirated DVDs that they buy in the markets. They also right. – at the right. PX, no. I think you can get – you can rent movies at the PX. Right. So maybe that's actually only on a base you know, and not in a, not in a war zone. But uh... – so it would benefit us to pick movies that we think are worth watching that aren't necessarily going to be in like the binder of some Iraqi who's got a whole bunch of pirated movies that they're selling to guys, right? Right. So. Yeah. And I, you know, and I wonder. Yeah, I wonder because like I, you know, I I gather that some people have computers over there, or maybe even a number of people have computers. Oh uh, yes, that's that's an understatement. That's true. Yeah, and that, <laughs> so that they can get on the internet and see stuff. So it's you know it's difficult to think like what we could provide uh, that they oh. don't have access to. Guys, we'll just pack it with ten copies of Anne Rand's Fountainhead. That's it. 
<laughs> Done. Finish. Winner. That's all you need. All that's right. All you need. There you go. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. That's a that's a good uplifting novel for for the folks in Iraq. You know, a, a nine hundred page book that ends with an act of domestic terrorism. Yeah, that's Spoiler great. Spoiler alert. You know yeah, you're welcome, soldiers, <laughs> sailors, airmen, and marines. Now, if we get copies of the movie, if we get copies of the movie The Passion of Ayn Rand starring Eric Stoltz, then that might be worth watching. <laughs> if you got that movie, it's very, it's very intense and seductive. <laughs> it's a lot. I, I watched it on Lifetime once. It was something Stoltz. else. Stoltz. Stoltz. Africa, which I did not watch, but is on DVD already. You know, do we have a, you know, the, uh, the overthinking it muse female actress is Tilda Swinton. And oh, that's, that's been that's been well established by this point. I don't know if if there's a dude who really embodies the spirit of overthinking it uh, in the way in the way Tilda Swinton does, veering from high to low culture uh, with such abandon and you know at such a rapid period of oscillation. Can I, can I nominate uh, Sir Ben Kingsley? <laughs> sir, Strong choice, sir. Strong choice. Sir Ben the Wackness Kingsley. Star of Gandhi and and Species. <laughs> star of uh, Star of Sneakers and Thunderbirds. <laughs> oh man. Of Schindler's List and Sopranos. Oh, Sopranos wasn't so bad, but that episode of him in the Sopranos was so good, where he was like, where they were trying to get him to be in Cleaver. Do you remember that? Oh man, they were trying to get him to be in this mafia slasher movie that Christopher was making. It was very funny. Huh. They, they ended up stealing all the swag out of like the resort, that the Hollywood resort that they were in. Huh. Huh. Anyway, anyway, I digress. Speaking of anticipated movies, are are we anticipating any movies? Nice in the segue there. Who are not? Whatsoever. 3GS, the S is for Segway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so here's where we've been. Uh, in April, not really summer, but I guess they kicked it off early this year with Fast and Furious, thumbs, which we gave generally a thumbs up, and the Hannah Montana movie, uh, which no one saw except for Matt Belinke. <laughs> Did he give it a thumbs up? I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> uh, but, X-Men but... Origins, Wolverine was, I, you know, I didn't see it. It was widely believed to be a dog. Right. Scared by a bad buzz. No, it's yeah. a Wolverine. It's sort of like a little cat monster. <laughs> uh, Star Trek, FTW, uh, Angels and Demons. Oh, didn't see that. No one expected that to be any good. Yeah, but mm. you know what? I, I don't think it was supposed to be good. I think it was supposed to be. I, I think it's supposed to be really as sort of easily digestible as the popcorn that you scarf down while watching it that you, you know, eliminate immediately upon leaving the theater. I love how people think that the, the Terminator movie was supposed to be like provocative and interesting uh, before you heard about it. But the book about like the conspiracies between the Holy See and the Illuminati stretching back thousands of years is a popcorn flick. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Though, though, Pete, hold on, because yeah. like we have the example of oh god, what's it called? Oh, the Da Vinci Code, and we have the example of T two. You know. Well, Which yeah, is, of course. It just shows how weird our culture is sometimes. I, I, yeah, yeah, I guess I, so. You're right. Well, you know, I mean, if there had been... I mean, I don't know. T2 does have parts that are very easy to come across, and it's not particularly sophisticated at times, but it's really nice. I don't know. It's just... It's interesting that, like... Uh, Hasta la vista, baby. 
Uh, okay, we'll come back to this later. <laughs> that's what you mean. I don't speak Spanish, but I think that's what that means, right? <laughs> <laughs> it uh, means, like, let's table this discussion and move on to other summer movies. <laughs> Terminator, <laughs> Terminator Salvation, Night at the Museum <laughs> 2, Battle of the Smithsonian. And Which is actually the exact same movie, shot for shot, as Terminator Salvation, but nobody saw both movies. So, <laughs> nobody actually also, found out. Also, Night at the Museum is about an hour shorter. Oh, really? Wow. No. And has, has, <laughs> has far more Amy Adams in it. Mm. Uh, and Pixar's up, and that is it for May. So, we covered these a couple episodes ago. Uh, so, you can, I invite you to go back on iTunes, or if it's not on iTunes, um, you can go to overthinkingit.com and look at all the back episodes of the podcast and download them there. Uh, in that preview episode as well. We got through all the way through May and June. So we should blow by blow do June as well. Yep. 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 So, uh, June land of the lost and taking of Pelham one, two, three, uh, year one. Hey, did anyone see year one? It's got trashed by the critics for what it's worth. Um, they freaking elbow dropped it. It was like yeah. freaking bionic elbow from Macho Man Randy Savage off the top rope right onto Jack Black's wig wear and face. Ouch. The, the critics were like, year one, more like year zero. Ooh. Wait, was <laughs> more there, like year negative four. Was there a year zero or did it go straight from year one of before the common era to year one of the common era? I think there's. I think it starts in the one. I don't think that there's a zero. Uh, I may be wrong. I think there is zero, which is why oh, yeah? back in, back in two thousand there was that whole you know oh it's not really the millennium until two thousand one because you remember this nerd discussion that nerds had right? Well, I thought that the reason for that was because it started at one. The reason that the millennium doesn't start until two thousand one is because the first year was one and there was no year zero. And so, in order to get through a thousand years, you have to go from one all the way through the end of a thousand to have completed one thousand years. Which was why all the power went out of my house in the middle of 2001. Right. Right, right, right. right. Or that was a tree that fell. But it was also – it was a conspiracy. <laughs> and I had a bio suit. No, I did. I had a bio suit and I was in my basement and I was playing Settlers of Catan in a bio suit. <laughs> power went out and I was like, there's the Y2K bug a year and a half late just as I expected. And, I, and who was laughing now? Who is laughing now? Not uh, people we, we, who saw the Jack Black movie, because it isn't very good, <laughs> but everybody else. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, The Hangover isn't on this list of, mm. uh, of movies uh, at moviemoron.com, movie-moron.com. And I want to give them a plug because of their excellent SEO. When I Googled uh, Summer Movies 2009, this was the first hit. So, uh, hey, good on you guys for putting the article together and really, uh, you know, getting it there. Way to internet market. You guys, FTW, I don't know. Apparently I'm out of it tonight. Uh, But it's not here. But that was like the number one movie in America. Now, did any of you guys see it, The Hangover? Meant to see it, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, I can't remember if I'm on the show or not, but uh, yeah, didn't get to. So I'll pull in one, two, three instead. Got it. 
I mean, I wasn't on the podcast last weekend because I was at my cousin's wedding in New Jersey, and I haven't been able to catch up with any pop culture, really. So I've been out of the loop, man. I'm out of the loop. You're going to have to teach me uh, like a whole new language. I have to learn from scratch. Everything hey, that's yo! Wedding in New Jersey? Hey, yo! Yeah. Hey, yo. That's exactly what it sounded like the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Let me teach you, Fenzel. W-A-T-E-R. Water. Water, Anyone? Helen? Water? <laughs> Water, Helen. Wawa. Wawa. Water. So I hear that that, that there's a car company that went out of business before the movie that advertises its cars came out. (laughs) 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 So all that money looks pretty foolishly spent on taxpayer dollars now that are heading over to Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox and company, right? (laughs) Michael Bay, yes. speaking, of course, of Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. I'm talking about the other Shia LaBeouf movie. No, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Rated Which, uh, speaking of the GM thing, I speculated that all, the, all the, the amount of money that they spent on the product placement probably uh, covered about like a day's worth of their uh, liabilities for retirees, pensions, and health, health, health benefits. <laughs> so probably not that lost to GM. Yeah, Wait. well, their health. Sorry, go ahead, John. I'm oh, sorry. Has Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen come and, and gone? It's 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 not out yet, is it? No, it's not out yet. Okay, good. It's next I, weekend. I think it's I, this. Yeah. I wouldn't want to have missed that one. So uh, I'm glad I have a chance to see many fine General Motors products on screen, transforming into other General Motors products. Uh, yes. <laughs> I gotta say, like, I'm sure that that's gonna be a movie that's gonna leave me with the sense of being, like, thoroughly worked over by, you know, a team of bouncers or something. Like, I felt pummeled and very, like, kind of beat up at the end of Terminator Salvation, where it was just like, God, did I really need more loud things and more things flying at the screen and more, like, you know, did I need more stimulation? You know, did I, I, yeah. I anticipate a similar feeling because it'll be very much like standing outside a club where I'll see a really hot woman and a really nice car, but anytime I try and get close to them and interact with them in a meaningful way, I'll get I'll get pummeled, as you say, by bouncers. <laughs> right, well put, sir. Well put. So yeah, you make yeah you raise an excellent point. Either that, or you'll feel really bad about your ten dollar cover and your crappy drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, before we move on from Transformers, which you really should. Um, and Terminator, <laughs> which we also really, really should. Um, we should just briefly mention that Michael Bay and McGee were having an internet flame war pissing contest uh, oh, against each other. And I think at some point it literally uh, devolved into McGee challenging Michael Bay to an actual pissing contest. <laughs> it's, or, like, it's, it's, or, like, or like a wing measuring. There to punch them both in the face. Wow. Jeez. Well, was the was the contest over who can who can make a more disgustingly bad movie? I mean, what what was the argument? <laughs> well, it was actually over the size of the ro- of the robots in their respective movies. Are you serious? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Michael Bay was like, "Oh, new trans- new Terminator movies got big robots. I wonder where they got that from." And McGee basically was like, "My wing is bigger than yours." <laughs> <laughs> Mick G, Man. I gotta say, he comes, he he gets a lot of crap for being called Mick G, and and I understand that. That's a you know, I respect that position. And yet, when we met him at New York Comic Con, well, we didn't meet him. When we saw him speak at New York Comic Con, uh, he seemed like a just a totally you know with it kind of guy, right? Yeah, Mark? and which is why this whole like actual you know internet pissing contest with Mick G seems so out of place. 
But, yes. you know, moving back again to the incredibly crappy quality of Terminator Salvation, now it's well. And he was, Sorry. you know, he was an executive producer of The O.C., you know? And so this guy's got his, his finger on the pulse of pop culture. And well. in, in, Michael, in Michael Bay's defense, he's been able to laugh at himself as well. Like, he did a pretty good, I think it was a Comcast commercial or some, um, some, some cable Verizon. company commercial. Or Verizon, thank you. Verizon Home, you know, that bundled package. And he was just setting off explosions all around his house with this really intense look on his face. I was like, you know, I respect Michael Bay for his ability to laugh at the commonly held mockery that everyone has of him. Well, it's, did you see the Wes Anderson American Express commercial? I did. I saw. I saw that too, and it was also yeah. very funny. Same thing. So yeah, I mean, I guess you know, I don't know if these well, people can I, just you want have... me to read you. Oh, sorry, I, I've been, I've been, I've been searching for this while you guys have been talking. You want me to read you exactly what McGee said? Exactly what he said here to Men's Style Magazine. Yes. Yes. Michael Bay has a big cock. McGee says to Men's Style. <laughs> but I'd like to believe mine is bigger. McGee smiles. <laughs> If he's up for it, we can both reveal ourselves on the Spartacus steps at Universal and put the question to rest. <laughs> and he apparently accused the Transformers of doing breakdancing and flips and backspins in a way that wasn't realistic, unlike his robots, which by shooting motorcycles out of their legs are very realistic. <laughs> <laughs> also, by having, a, by having a headquarters that's designed for human occupants. With plenty of use points, perhaps. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted. I was, I was, I, as soon as I saw this article, this is um, for, courtesy of FirstShowing.net, which I'll plug for also being Googleable for a rather more obscure topic. <laughs> I didn't do the image search. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you want overthinking it to show up first in your Google search results, I think you have to Google overthinking it. Uh, right. And there are actually bastards who have stolen our name. And right, and applied it to their own site, so they're they're creeping up on us. Or you have to Google something like, "How much is twenty million rupees?" If you if you Google Batman Schopenhauer, we come first. <laughs> <laughs> nice, that's great. Yeah. Wow, there, I I should give lessons in search engine optimization. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> I should be a highly paid consultant. All right, into now, like more than half an hour after we started, we actually get to the material <laughs> that that we intended to uh, uh, to do all along, which is the coming summer movies. So starting in July, and we'll probably skip most of these, but you know, we'll pause for some of them. Coming in July, uh, July first, Ice Age three, Dawn of the Dinosaurs. Yay! ironic that a, a movie with the name with the word ice in its name is coming out in the hottest month of the year well second hottest month of the year i, I think mm. it's a little more ironic that a movie named ice age has its subtitle a species that almost by definition could not have existed during an ice age right mm. i think it's more ironic that it's the third installment in the series and has a a, te- a titling template of blank blank three coming up of the blank such like Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, or Ice Age 3, like Dawn of the Dinosaurs. Uh, I definitely see that. The third Star Wars installment, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Revenge yeah. of the Sith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Revenge of the Sith is also third. Although Attack of the Clones is second. So perhaps this is a little bit of a red herring. Um, I'm just saying that there's dinosaurs in this movie, which means it's got to be awesome. Because Land of the Lost had dinosaurs in it, and that movie <laughs> I didn't see. But that doesn't matter because this movie's going to be awesome. Or, uh, or Star, Star Trek Three: The Apotheosis of Chekhov. Yes, exactly. exactly. Uh, 
Uh, like that. Of the spot. Uh, um, also on the 1st of July, Public Enemies, starring Johnny Depp, Christian Bale, Ch- Channing Tatum, director Michael Mann. Uh, which is going to be awesome, like I said earlier, and I'm coming back to now. Because it's Michael Mann, and he consistently does, I would say, interesting movies, if not always great ones. I mean, Miami Vice was, by all accounts, a bit of a train wreck, but it was a gorgeously rendered train wreck. It was a fant- <laughs> it was a fascinating, you know, beautiful train wreck. Yeah, sure. And, I mean, this one's got, you know, Johnny Depp and Christian Bale in it, and... I can't think of any way a Christian Bale summer movie could possibly be bad. So <laughs> inconceivable. <laughs> it just it just couldn't happen. So so yeah, I'm I'm highly enthused about this one. And the the subject matter, the setting, they're they're going to be entertaining. My my only fear is that it won't it won't draw enough people in because they'll see like the hats and the Tommy guns and be like, oh, this isn't you know there aren't robots or. Slick talking gangsters with cell phones in this one. I'm going to give it a pass. Yeah, but it's this, no, okay. uh, it's no crank two high voltage. Hang on a second. This is this is why we need to have uh, females on the podcast because any female will tell you that uh, the draw of Johnny Depp and Christian Bale is uh, second to perhaps only I don't know that that boy from Twilight. No, in terms of this, I can't. This is- This is why we need women on the podcast, because a woman on the podcast wouldn't have forgotten that Channing Tatum is also in this movie and is also a big draw for women to come see this movie. (laughs) Channing Tatum is the movie star more than any other movie star that women know and men are oblivious to. <laughs> he's the star of the of the Step Up to the Streets, the Step Up movies, right? And uh, and he's also in that Stop Loss movie with Ryan Phillippe and in Fighting. Um, and I remember when uh, Step Up to the Streets came out, I was asking people who Channing Tatum was, and the only people who knew were women. And I challenged my friends to go ask the women in their offices, do they know who Channing Tatum is? And they all did, and none of the guys did. So um, that is a triple feature. This, this is a movie where the guy can bring the girl to see it, and she will go if she can see the, the man flesh that she wants to spot wearing those fancy suits. Yeah, I guess so. it's not, there's not a lot of man flesh. It's like man suit. It's like yeah, man- but women are also stimulated by suits. Man- see, they're not just stimulated by the way guys look. They're also stimulated by the suits that they wear. <laughs> this is also why we need a woman on the podcast, so we, we don't necessarily say things like this. <laughs> uh, and also, so there are all these gosh darn rappers all over the ground and these empty pizza boxes. Somebody clean this place up, for Christ's sake. I don't mean the woman should clean it up. She should yell at us and make us clean it up. So, right. I wouldn't suggest something so heteronormative. Um, as a woman doing our cleaning for us. I'm sorry, patriarchal. Heteronormative would be different. <laughs> yeah, would well, be speaking, different. Speaking, speaking of heteronormative, <laughs> the next thing we're going up, what's up? Nice segue. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, so all those years ago, what was it, 2006, uh, there was the annoying guy in your office who kept doing the Borat impersonation, and now that annoying guy is going to have new material. Uh, with the Bruno movie opening July 10th. So is, is this movie anti-gay in some way? Well, since having not seen it, I can say yes, and we should all boycott it. <laughs> <laughs> all good boycotts start before anyone has seen the movie <laughs> and determines what the movie actually says. I don't know. I mean, I suspect if it's anything like like um, Ali G generally tends to be or uh, Borat was, it's 
exposing the anti-gayness of regular people by coming forward as like a flamboyant person and making them think that it's safe for them to show their prejudices, right? I mean, isn't that the angle? <laughs> isn't that what he does? That is what that is what Borat does. But yeah. uh, I don't know. I go back and forth. I mean, Borat was just such a just an, an outrageous character, you know, uh, unto himself, which just, he didn't quite have much of the same baggage. I mean, sure, you know, if, if you were uh, an actual Eastern European bumpkin yourself, then you might be offended <laughs> at the portrayal of Eastern European Oh, bumpkins. yeah. It's not, it's not anti-Eastern European bumpkins. <laughs> it's not anti-bumpkin. <laughs> what are you and, talking and Kazakh- about? Kazakhstani people were actually on record very offended by Borat, but they weren't an issue because they're, they're not a big power player in Hollywood. True, true, true. At least not in uh, 2006. Yeah, that's, Variety, not a huge, that's not a huge market, right, for DVDs. Yeah, Variety had them ranked much higher in, like, 02 to 05, but in 06 they fell off the map, and that's when, that's when they sprang and released Borat. Right, exactly. They've been waiting for just that development. Yeah, exactly. But, no, but I mean, like, aren't you, but with, uh, with Bruno, aren't you, like, you're, you're creating a character who's so in-your-face and offensive. You're not inviting people, hey, share my prejudices with me. It's okay, I have these prejudices also, so you can, you can feel safe in, in revealing your own prejudices. He's, he's so offensive and so provocative and embodies the worst stereotypes of you know and sort of hysterical caricature of gay people himself that any any normal person would be put off by by what he's doing so it's not the the humor doesn't work in quite the same way i think right well, I think- sorry pete you go Oh, I was just saying it's it's similar well, more similar to Ali G maybe than to Borat because a lot of the humor with uh, Borat was getting people to say how anti-Semitic they were, right? But with Ali G, it's more like, you know, you, you think I'm stupid. You think that you're better than me. Treat me like you think that you're better than me. And then we'll see what character you have by doing that to me, right? And that was always the challenge. It was always fun to watch people kind of wriggle around it or be really nice to him or, like, be really rude to him. Sure. So I think with Bruno, it's not, he's not saying I hate gay people, therefore we can buddy-buddy. It's that you don't respect me. You hate me. You are afraid of me. You don't like me. Show me what you think of me. Yeah, but and it's, I'm going to show everybody else. Yeah, but he's not, you know, I don't know. I, I, okay, fair enough. Well, he's not in it to be but fair. He's so, he's, so over the, he's so over-the-top provocative that it's like – you know, it's not that I hate gay people. It's that I hate people who shove their balls in my face. Well, I think maybe if you – we watch the movie, maybe we'll see what side of, the, of that particular fence or perhaps straddling that fence in kind of a, a very heteronormative sort of way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, John. I, I, I interrupted you. No, 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 it's fine. I, uh, my comments are mostly in line with yours. I think the difference between this and comedy that uses, uses gay people as the butt of a joke, like uh-huh. – I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> really can you uh, edit that out can you beep that or something <laughs> that's what she said oh man oh but uh like the an example being like you know certain scenes in bad boys 2 or something like that where you know it's like oh haha you know we think martin lawrence and will smith are gay for this one scene and that's that's funny because you know it'd be funny if they're gay i think the difference between a movie like bruno and a sequence like that is is that in the, the bad or homophobic version, they're using homosexuality as the punchline itself. Like, the, the ending of the joke is, and they're gay. Whereas in Bruno, the punchline is how everyone other than Sasha Baron Cohen is acting on screen. 
Like he's he's the setup of the joke. Everyone else's reaction is the punchline. And I think that I, I think that makes it less you know less homophobic or even less using gay people as the butt of a joke and more using them as a means of provoking provoking intense discomfort. Now whether or not you think that's funny or worth you know worth the nine dollars is another debate in itself. But I, I think it's different from. Or, I, or rather, I think it's similar to, to Borat and, and Ali G in that vein. Mm. Like, my favorite Bruno sketch is the one where he goes down to spring break in Florida, in like Fort, Fort Lauderdale or something. Yeah. And uh, he gets, he meets up with a, was it a college wrestling team? Um, and he gets them to like, like get on camera and talk about how they love their college and like take their shirts off and then like moon the camera and like start wrestling each other and like jumping up and down and laughing. And then like he gets them all <laughs> standing in line. He's like, and now, you know, when he has them announce that they, they're from a particular college and they're from the wrestling team. And he's like, and now tell them how. How great it is to be gay and then they're like fuck you, <laughs> you <know? laughs> what the heck? what are you talking about you can bleep that out as well beep but yeah they get really pissed like they get very sincerely angry with him um and it's so funny when he's standing there being like oh yeah they're having a great time and then and they're having a great time and then as soon as he suggests that they might be gay they get angry um and those are the moments that are funny but also bruno was also making fun of the fashion industry very specifically during right. a lot of his sketches not just homosexuality there's other things that bruno's making fun of i mean he's making fun of sort of I mean, when we talk about the whole like arugula eating a feet side of America um, that people always accuse Barack Obama during the campaign of being part of, there are people who are actually part of that like sort of like over genteel sort of very 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 foppish side of America, and it's not necessarily strictly to do with sexuality, right? Like, um, you mostly know, to do with so, what? It has mostly to do with arugula, actually. Yeah. Well, it has to do with just like consumerism obsession and like superficiality, right? And and sort of and gossip and like appearances. Um, but seriously, have you seen the price of arugula? I have not. Is it is it is that an, another one of those unfortunately named movies? <laughs> nobody's ever to watch. The price. The price of arugula. Mm, this, yeah, but it's not a it's not a summer movie. That's a prestige picture. What right? season is arugula? <laughs> I don't know when arugula is harvested, so I don't know when to go see the movie. <laughs> Everything is harvested all the damn time now. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, so, um, okay, got to push on. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, 15th July. I'm psyched. I think it'll be good. Yeah, um, I mean, I was... these, the Harry Potter movies have been serviceable. Wasn't this one pushed back from a Christmas release date, angering the entire Potter sphere or whatever they're called? Yes, it was. Yeah, this movie was in the can last year. And uh, for a variety of reasons, I guess they pushed it back to now. Is that a good sign or a bad sign? Uh, I think actually it was a Harry Potter movie. I think it's a hit no matter what. So I think it's not based on the marketability of the movie. And to my understanding, they have not altered a frame of it. It's just uh, that it was more of a business decision. Like if there had been an actor's strike, uh, you know, it was good to have some big ticket material uh, ready to release later on. Okay, so so Warner Brothers just wanted you know a definite win in the in the month of July, and this is this is it for them. I think that's I think that's what it was. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, no, it doesn't. I wanted my Harry Potter right when it was ready. I'm actually I'm shocked that there wasn't uh, a release of it on the torrents somewhere. 
of Harry Potter just yet? Yeah, right? Because, I mean, if you can get a work print of uh, Wolverine out there and this movie was done, like done, 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 uh, mm. you know, well, there's got to be a digital copy lying around somewhere that some employee somewhere along the production chain could misappropriate. Mm-hmm. That seems possible. I like the posters for this movie. <laughs> Those are cool, but I haven't seen any sort of bit torn. But I don't do any of that high tech stuff. I just got my first little smartphone, so I'm not up to speed with all you people who do this stuff like download fancy pants movies on the internets. That's exciting. G One's a great a great phone. I mean, I'm yeah. you know, I I'm an Apple fanboy. I guess I you know suckle at the teat of Steve. So <laughs> that's another great movie. I, I've seen that movie. <laughs> yeah, the teat of Steve. Rated <laughs> off this summer. I, I would- Ride the teat. What? <laughs> oh my God. This is one last thing on Harry Sheila Potter. Sheila as Steve. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, never mind. This what I have summer, milk it. Is that? Oh, man. No, I was, so, I was just going to say that. Um, no, I, I never got on the Harry Potter wave. Um, so this whole thing has just been kind of, you know, I've been just kind of a, a, a bystander to most of this cultural phenomenon, but I'm still... Uh, I would say surprised and impressed that it's managed to stay alive for this long. You know, it, it seemed that, at, at, you know, when the book started first coming out, that it was going to be a flash in the pan cultural phenomenon, at least to me. And here we are. How many movies is this? Fifth? Sixth? It's the 17th one, actually. <laughs> yeah, right. No, this Might is, um, oh, this which is one six. is this? this is Hot six. Blood this Prince. Six. Yeah, this is six of seven, though I guess it's, I guess it's understood that uh, they're going to do seven as a two-parter. Oh really? So six out of probably eight. Mm. Yeah. That is, think of, how many how many movie franchises can you can you name that have gone eight parts with its entire original mem- uh, cast and have been you know, of uniform, fairly good quality throughout? Serviceable quality. Like I thought three. I thought three was actually pretty damn good. A pretty damn good movie. But the rest of them have seemed like kind of a forced march through the plot. And other than like a lot of CGI effects and you know sweeping shots of kids riding brooms, not a whole lot that's really cinematic about them or dramatic. If by dramatic you mean you know a, a work of visual storytelling about the. Uh, you know, narrative actions of a group of interesting characters. Which well, I mean, one was Matt, three oh. oh, sorry, go ahead, Pete. I just asked which one was three. Three was uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, oh, which agree. introduced okay. Gary Oldman. Right, gotcha. And had the big swinging pendulum in Hogwarts because it was about time and growing up. And had one of my favorite, one of my favorite little things, and I never saw it remarked on anywhere. But like at the end, spoiler, Harry Potter spoiler alert for like the two people who uh, have not seen Harry Potter. But like the big reveal at the end of three is that certain of the adults can turn into animals. Right. Mm -hmm. And like there's this very, you know, scary scene in the book at the end. I I suppose it's scary if you're a child, right? Like it's meant to be scary that um, where the grownups turn into animals and the good one fights the bad one and you don't Mm -hmm. know who's going to win. And so like very early on in the in the movie. Uh, the kids are playing with these like magical candies that they have, these kind of gag magic things that are you know deployed for humorous effect throughout the whole 
whole franchise. And so they're they're taking ones that make them like roar like a lion for thirty seconds, or like cluck like a chicken for thirty seconds. So they you know they turn their voice into an animal voice. And I never saw it remarked on anywhere, but like it was, a, I thought it was a really deft foreshadowing. And I don't recall whether it was in the the novel or not, or whether it was a. Um, uh, an invention of the filmmakers, of the screenwriter and director, uh, that like this was like foreshadowing. This was sort of the kids playing at being adults in a sense, without a lot of consequences, as one does as a teenager. Uh, and then like sort of the the big climactic battle at the end between the adults with real consequences, uh, life or death consequences, happens when the adults. Uh, turn into animals, and I, I, you know, I don't know. It was like a little touch like that. Like that's a very good visual. That, that's a very good sort of visual cinematic storytelling for mm-hmm. me. And uh, you know, and so I, I don't know. Like I, I thought it was a good move. Oh, and also the one where he rides Buckbeak. He rides the Hippogriff. Like that was a very good flying scene. Uh, probably one of the best that I've seen. And um, in a movie full of, like, flying brooms and flying all kinds of things, that it's just, like, meh, you know, more CGI. It really had some emotional payoff where it was like, wow, that's really cool. I, I thought, anyway, may, you know, I have a history of being wrong about most things. <laughs> you, know, you, know what I, you know, a movie will, uh, I can almost guarantee, will have uh, poorly done CGI and no emotional payoff? What's that? The next, the last movie in our uh, July list here, G Force. <laughs> GI guinea pigs as an elite strike force team. Yeah, this is like be- this is like Cats and Dogs. The, that movie Cats and Dogs, but with guinea pigs, right? Oh, wait, uh, I don't, with, I don't know if the movie pets Cats. That, yeah, with pets that people have have even less attachment to. Yes. Did, Mainly guinea pigs. Did anyone have a guinea pig? I mean, I know people who have guinea pigs now. Yeah, but I mean, did anyone have growing up as as a pet a uh, like a hamster or a guinea pig? Any sort of small furry rodent? I had a frog and a ha- hermit crab. I had nothing quite so exciting. So I had a guinea pig and it died. That's very sad, Matt. I'm really sorry that that happened to you. Yeah, it was. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh at your misfortune, but that was very sincere. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I marginalized your, your pet ownership uh, <laughs> involuntarily. I had a guinea pig. She died. She died. My mother said she was sleeping. She lied. She lied. No. I love that that uh, movie Moron has, ju- has for G-Force, has juxtaposed a picture of Penelope Cruz uh. next to a picture of a guinea pig as like the advertisement for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well done. It's like, what do these two things have in common? And I'm like, Tom Cruise? I don't know. All right. Um. Into, into, uh, into August. We have two more, I think, two more movies. I'm a, I guess August is light, or else the, the guys at Movie Moron uh, just gave up. But, um, all right, here it is. What you've oh, all boy. been waiting for. Yes. G.I. Yes. Joe, Rise of Cobra. Rated something <laughs> with ninjas. Probably are. <laughs> We're all very excited. You know why I'm excited about this movie? Because Channing Tatum is in it. <laughs> Wait, is Channing Tatum really in it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Channing Tatum has had like 50 movies that have come out, and you've never noticed him because he's always right there under the radar. He's always the, he's the invisible actor that men can't see. He's sort of like that noise that they make in front of 7-Elevens that only teenagers can hear that makes them scatter. <laughs> it's like he's, he's invisible to male movie watchers. Um, 
thankfully, they did put uh, the big star, Christopher Eccleston, in this movie. Who the heck is Christopher Eccleston? Pete, <laughs> how, can, how can you be asking who Christopher Eccleston was? He was the new Doctor when Doctor Who was rebooted. Oh, that's right! That's him! Oh, he's great! That's right. He's actually, he's actually, the reason I don't know who he is is because he's a good actor. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what what I is have, he doing? In, is he the villain? Is he Cobra Commander in this movie? No, he's he's Destro. Oh, okay. Cobra, now, see, Co- I was Co- a, Cobra Commander is jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, well, you know there's a Cobra Commander curse that the actor who plays Cobra Commander never wins a Best Actor Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> it's similar to the Skeletor curse, which Frank Langella fell to this year. <laughs> so I hope that he understands the cost that he's potentially paying for doing this. Too bad this. for, for Gene. <laughs> Though it has, it has Jonathan Price as the President of the United States. Now, he's another guy who, who gets the Ben Kingsley Award for cycling from high to low very, very quickly. Jonathan Price? Yes. Mm. Give me some I examples. I, uh, I will as soon as I click on his IMDb link. Oh, and <laughs> Arnold Vosloo is in. I love to see that Emotep is working. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Talk about cursing. The, yeah, marketing yeah. Materials, the marketing materials for G.I. Joe have, have been excellent in, in demonstrating that staple of fashion photography, red carpet shots, and now, you know, action movie poses. That contortion of the hip that lets you show off both ass and chest at the same time. <laughs> like the uh, whoever's playing Scarlet, you know, she's posing with some crossbow gun because, you know, that's, that's a convenient thing to use. And she, and, you know, is twisting her body in such a way as to present all the, all the important to the male gaze assets at the same time. I think Channing Tatum is doing something similar for all the ladies uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, and so, so is, is Dennis Quaid doing something for all the people who are in kind of the Sunset Crew? <laughs> like, oh, look at that! Look at that! That manly, grizzled fellow with his manly, dashing good looks. Jonathan, look at, look at that flank steak. <laughs> uh, I like it. Well done, Jonathan. I don't like my Jonathan Price, who played Link in, uh, he played Link in uh, Glengarry Glen Ross, and. That's, that was Omar Epps. No, that wasn't Omar Epps. That was another guy. What oh, was Omar Epps who played Link in the Mod Squad? The movie with Claire Danes? <laughs> uh, Giovanni Rubisi, right? Claire, <laughs> Claire Danes. And yes, it may have been Omar Epps. Uh, yeah. Uh, but then he and then was in Martin Scorsese's Age of Innocence, but then a scant three years later uh, played Juan Perón in Evita and has gone on to such fantastic roles as. Uh, as the guy who, um, as the guy who is Keira Knightley's father in Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> oh right, is he also the guy from the Infinity commercials? Weatherby Swan, yes, yeah. yes. From our from uh, our yeah. from our uh, most economical G twenty to our most luxurious Q forty five. <laughs> the Q45, the Infinity Q45. I don't know what it is, but I want it. <laughs> that, that was a guy who could sell me things that I couldn't afford. It has both a letter and a number. So I take yeah. it we're not that excited about G.I. Joe. Well, here, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. I was not allowed to play with G.I. Joes as a child because my parents let me play with robots that had guns, but not with people who had guns because it was too (laughs) realistic. And I'm totally serious. It had to be an extra level of suspension of disbelief to be permissible in my house. So I had He-Man, which is people with knives and swords, and I had Ninja Turtles, which was animals with a variety of weapons, and I had Transformers, but I had no G.I. Joes. So someone needs to explain to me what the F is going on in the G.I. Joe universe because I don't really understand. Like, I don't know 
what happens in G.I. Joe because every time I played it with my friends, it was some sort of cluster where like these guys are jumping off the couch and like this guy is like he's hitting the other guy with his head and then there's a whole bunch of like Barbies with their heads ripped off. So unless that's what the movie's about. <laughs> okay, Pete, um, Pete, it's it's all about accelerator suits. Accelerator suits? You, it's about accelerator suits, which allow you to uh, you know, basically uh, hop around uh, at very slow speed while missiles go all about you. I'm referring, so of course, to that one incredibly ridiculous scene in the, in the trailer where they put on these quote-unquote accelerator suits. So did G.I. Joe have accelerator suits, like the toy? I don't no. think so. I think it's something just some, some crap they made up for this movie. Oh, okay. okay. This is, it's, not, it's not canon to the, the richly detailed and always with an eye toward co- continuity uh, toy <laughs> series from, from the early 80s. Uh, now, <laughs> which is what so, makes so it the- grossly offensive. So is this like the jump boots in the Mario Brothers movie where like they feel the need to justify the fact that Mario jumps all the time so they come up with this other than just saying hey he can jump they give him like hydraulic robot boots on Bob Hoskins so that he can like jump like medium distances and and hit blocks with his head similar is- but I I don't I don't know that it's going that far if they were really trying to justify the original scope of GI Joe adventures they'd have these battles that take place on you know couches or beds or dining room tables <laughs> to chairs <laughs> Or, you know, someone falls in a swimming pool and they get lost until someone can go get their mom to go in and fetch them out of the swimming pool. That, that, that I think, would be much more true to life. I would love to see a scene where somebody's mom has to go rescue uh, Channing Tatum out of a swimming pool. So. <laughs> <laughs> just, just my last thought on this. Just, I have just been kind of uh, – I've been watching the incredibly bad buzz of this movie play out, you know, with all the fascination of watching a train wreck um, unfold in slow motion in front of you. I mean, the, the buzz it can't That's be awesome. any, any worse than this movie is getting right now. Oh, really? Um, yeah, the, my favorite rumor was that they fired Stephen Summers, the director, um, as they're trying to put together the final cut because the movie is so bad. And they just like locked him out of the editing room. Which, again, this, it's a rumor. You know, it's supposed to be part of the bad buzz, and no one knows if it's actually true or not. Um, but I think a lot of people are just rooting for this movie to be as absolutely as bad as possible because it's such a shameless, shameless cashing in of uh, of a toy property which doesn't really have much business of being a movie. So my mm. thoughts. It's another rise well, of the hold blank. Hold on, but- like it was GI Joe was created by the same merchandising slash entertainment team that created Transformers and Gem. You know, so mm. I don't know. I don't know if it has no business being a movie. I think it has a ton of business being a TV show and a movie and a direct to video thing and a well, video that, game and. I mean, GI Joe was a, is a more old, is an older, more legitimate sort of toy, I believe. Yeah, right? but like in its people... in its nineteen eighties incarnation. Oh, okay, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Right. This this isn't the the true story of of World War Two grunts taking out Nazis. Uh, although another August movie uh, by Quentin Tarantino is, ironically enough. Oh, oh man, we're, we're, Wait, we I, I mean, I want to like, say, I want to say, I, we shouldn't count out Stephen Summers, director, and, writer, and director of the Mummy, The Mummy Returns, Van Helsing. Uh, <laughs> you had me until Van Helsing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at what point? Van Helsing. Start, <laughs> First ten minutes. Him, movie. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I, that was my joke. I'm done. Oh, you you were done. That Van Helsing was a bad movie. Yeah, yeah, sorry. It's it's terrible. Yeah, do you have anything? 
<laughs> uh, I just want to say that Van Helsing is is not a good movie. If you go to see Van Helsing, like you say, you rent it or something. The first fifteen minutes or so of it are very interesting, and they're this cool sort of pastiche of old, you know, uh, studio horror movies. And then it becomes really stupid, like really stupid. And there's lots of shots of cleavage because it's like a PG movie, um, and and tons and tons of cleavage and lots of vampires and werewolves, and it's very silly. So, um, anyway, uh, Van Helsing, it's good to see if you enjoy uh, Kate Beckinsale vampire werewolf movies, but you're not up for the first two Underworld films. So, <laughs> You really narrowed the, uh, the criteria there quite a lot. Uh, well, you know, when I get to a place where I feel like I have nothing to say on an Overthinking It podcast, I make a joke about Kate Beckinsale being in vampire werewolf movies. It's pretty <laughs> much my stock joke. It's like pretty much my in case of emergency break glass. It's like the second shoot that you pull is, when the first is shoot Kate failed. Beckinsale like a classically trained British actress? Oh, almost certainly, right? I mean, yeah. she's very good. She does, which is fight vampires. <laughs> <laughs> fight lichens. <laughs> And you, you know yeah. every actor that comes out of Britain has, you know, eight years of, of Royal Shakespeare Company training because they don't let them off the island unless they do. Right. 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 Well, that, I mean, there is still a – it's really not uh, – it's not uh, replicated here well, um, but there really is – that old style system of theater apprenticeships and these old schools of theater where it's like being an actor is looked on as being kind of like being a plumber. It's a trade in England and they still have this, you know, it's, it's a route to a, it's a route to sort of maybe steady work and a comfortable kind of, uh, you know, working class existence. And so there is this great system of that turns out incredibly competent actors, you know, now, actually, truth about Kate Beckinsale, just looked it up. She was not, in fact, a classically trained actress. However, she was a writing phenom who won multiple writing contests in her youth and was an Oxonian uh, pursuing a writing career. And, well, no, she majored in French and Russian literature. So she was very adept at, at books and translation and literature. Um, and she was pulled into uh, Much You About Nothing by Kenneth Branagh. And that was when she jumped over and decided to start doing movies. Um, so she's actually a literary person, which is probably why I find her so attractive in those corsets with those guns jumping all over the place, firing at the at the werewolves with the vampires. No doubt. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Um, yeah, no, so she's legitimate, but she's she's a, definitely a linguistic intellectual um, by her upbringing and training, but not of the theatrical variety primarily, although she's done a fair amount of theater. I so. wonder if she wants to uh, do some guest posts on Overthinking It. You know, honestly, I, I don't mean to objectify her. I'd really be interested in hearing what she has to say. I'll say that right now because I, I, her body of work kind of mystifies me. And I'd really like to know, um, and, you know from her skill at interpretation of various parts, like where does that come from? Where is it going? What is she looking to do as an artist? And what does she think of that hot new Flavor Flav Chuck D movie, Public Enemy, that I'm really looking forward to seeing? So. <laughs> All right. We got, a, we got one more in our movie moron list. Uh, wow, the, guys, your site's getting getting pimped a lot by us. Uh, it's um, Inglorious Bastards, which premiered at Cannes to uh, mixed critical reception, but is Quentin Tarantino's latest, starring Brad Pitt. Uh, you know, Eli Roth. Uh, yeah, I, who's in it? Eli Roth, the director, is in it. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Sort of like having Sam Shepard in your movie. Well, I guess, I, I mean, Sam Shepard has been in some movies, right? Yeah, definitely. Or Peter Berg, he's been in movies. Mm. Yeah, 
or Channing Tatum. He's been in some movies. <laughs> I've heard, yeah, more more recently. Yeah, Channing Tatum, directorial phenom. I don't know. Mm. What do you What do you guys think of of Quentin Tarantino? And running out of steam. <laughs> think so? There wasn't. There just wasn't enough there when he kind of burst onto the scene with Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. I mean, no, I mean I there was. It, oh. oh, sorry. You go first. Yeah, God, uh, we've I mean, been I've talking been... over each other all tonight. It's all of us. It's all of us. No, I know. This, this is this. I apologize. I've been all juiced up because I missed the podcast last week. So Aww. I've got double as much podcasting goodness that I want to do. You have. Uh, you had pod. You had. You had pod blue balls. I had pod balls. That's correct. And we need a woman on the podcast so we don't say things like that. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say we need a woman on the podcast to take care of our pod balls. <laughs> no, that is not why. That is not, not cre- We are not creating a safe space here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this, except, except if it's a safe space for misogyny. So when Quentin Tarantino came on the scene, he sort of made this claim to becoming this new sort of auteur, and people made this claim that he was being this new sort of auteur. But when push came to shove, he wasn't capable slash interested in the level of production necessary to single-handedly like recreate a whole new kind of film or even test whether his ideology or manifesto was worthwhile to, or robust enough to support it. So, I mean, how many movies can a director be expected to make in a given year? Um, I, like, I'm reminded of when Weird Al Yankovic is always asked, wow, you made a comeback. He said, no, I didn't make a comeback. I didn't go anywhere. I've been releasing movies at this level of uh, albums at this level of frequency since the beginning of when I started making music. So Quentin Tarantino could never be what his hype said he was going to be when he started because he can't work fast enough. So, like, all his movies are good, at least. Like, Dust Till Dawn is good, right? Like, you know, Bill, Kill Bill is really good. You know, Reservoir Dogs is really good. But he's not going to be able to single-handedly transform anything if he only makes five or six movies, right? Well, and he hasn't kind of coalesced a movement around him, I guess, the way you think of, like, movements in film uh... – happening like the kind of the Wes Anderson movement which I think includes something like Juno even yeah, right. or even like you know the the famous you know Spielberg and with Lucas and with Scorsese and the same sure right exactly the the kind of the creation in the 70s of the summer blockbuster which I think is yeah. probably those guys ultimate legacy uh say yeah. what you will about you know the quality of Steven Spielberg as a filmmaker and and surely he has some high points and some some high points right like <laughs> Like uh, the turtle. <laughs> oh, God. Fine film. Fine film. I saw that. Some high points. I mean, I, no, he has some low points, and we can all bitch and moan about them. But he has some high points as well, was the point I was trying to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've uh, been... Still, I think that those, I think that, like, what he ultimately will be remembered for contributing to uh, American cinema is less anything in his particular style of visual storytelling and more something having to do with commerce. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been less taken with Quentin Tarantino and and sadly it's an effect that's heightened the more movies he's released. Like it, it Kevin Smith is similar to me. Like, you know, there's the big debut film which is a critical splash and a huge success and a cult classic and everyone watches it and quotes it and loves it. And then as more and more movies come out, you see that the, it's like it's like approaching a cube face on and it looks really big, but as you get more and more depth to it, you realize there's less there than you thought. Like as you start to come around, you see there are fewer, fewer facets, fewer sides. Like I, I don't find his doctrinaire and meticulously constructed, but still pretty rigid reconstruction of past movies 
to right. be a new and significant form of art in its own right. Yeah. And uh, I, I think, and I, I think this, this isn't his fault either, but uh, his movies like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction also heralded and like any, any big splash heralded an immense spawn of imitators who produced a lot of really mediocre movies that thought, Oh, as long as you have a, a few moments of extreme violence and a lot of people swearing and chatting in a really non-productive way, and maybe some classic soundtrack and then, you know, some gun battles that'll be edgy and cool and moving. And the, the signal to noise ratio is pretty tremendous at this point. Like the number of imitators has grossly overwhelmed uh, Tarantino's original output because, as you said, Pete, Tarantino works very slowly and his imitators can churn crap out at a remarkable rate. Mm-hmm. About my, that, though, wasn't there a longer wasn't there a longer break before Poodle Hat? <laughs> <laughs> you know, wasn't that just a longer than usual? Uh, well, that was when he had his LASIK eye surgery and he got rid of his glasses. I guess so. <laughs> we're, we're yeah, talking he, about Weird Al Yankovic right now, but yeah. Can he straight, also straighten his hair or something? He got rid of his glasses and he cut his hair and it really didn't work for him. So he went back, I yeah. think. He like, wears like fake glasses now because he has like better than 2020 vision. It's like, it's like, uh, when Kiss did that one album, like when Kiss did that one album with their makeup off. Mm, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Let's go back. Let's go back to Tarantino for a second, because John, you were talking about the the, the imitators, and yes. uh, forgive my ignorance, but I'm not really. I don't know of any of those examples off the top of my head. So, can you quickly educate me? First one that comes to mind is we it came up on a podcast about a month ago, a uh, Year of the Gun in 2000, uh, which was a decent movie in its own right, but that was very clearly a Tarantino imitator. Like it's it's primarily a half-ass character study of these two guys who get in a lot of gun violence, and they talk a lot about things that interest them, and they, they say a lot of edgy things, and there's occasional moments of, of shocking violence and brutality in a sort of weirdly contrived situation. Or, uh, to a lesser extent, actually, I'd, I'd, say Guy, I'd say Guy Ritchie had a lot of originality in his own right, but Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels was clearly inspired by the sort of multi-perspective storytelling that Pulp Fiction created and that, Reser- and that Reservoir Dogs uh, helped to make happen, plus the shocking moments of violence, plus the very dark comedy. Uh, although okay. Guy Ritchie yep. went in a more humorous direction. Right, right. I think you also, you really couldn't have Eli Roth without Quentin Tarantino, right? right. And, and wasn't actually, wasn't the deal with Hostel, it was like Quentin Tarantino presents Eli Roth's Hostel or something like that? Yeah, for, for, all the, for all the work Quentin Tarantino has been doing in not making movies, he's been doing an awful lot of presenting in the last 10 years. Like, you see his name on a lot of things that, that don't need his name on them. Mm. Like, I got some great cornflakes the other day. And they were like, <laughs> <laughs> those were, I'm sorry, those were Robert Rodriguez cornflakes. I always confuse the Robert Rodriguez presents cornflakes with the Tarantino presents cornflakes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the Robert Rodriguez ones, when I ate the cornflakes, it felt like uh, an explosion of broken elbow joints in my mouth. It was pretty tasty. <laughs> uh, man. Uh, that scene in Once Upon a Time in Mexico was really brutal, where they shoot out his kneecaps. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, that was harsh. <laughs> Robert Sorry. Rodriguez. I mean, there's, an- there's another guy who seems to like, uh, I don't know, who has high points and low points. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Spy Kids. Yeah, yeah. Did you love Spy Kids? No, not really. I don't know. Did you you see it? Uh, Yes, I did at one point. I forget why. 
Oh, okay. Was it better or worse than Fast and the Furious? Oh, uh, worse <laughs> by far. Uh, then Vin Diesel is once wait, again... Wait, wait, victor- wait, wait, wait. Was it better or worse than The Fast and The Furious? Or was it better than worse, better or worse than Fast and Furious? Oh, I'm sorry. Then Fast and Furious, the latest one. Huh. Tough call. Perhaps they can find some way of adjudicating that dispute, like some sort of uh, contest. <laughs> Perhaps if there's only some sort of con, like a, maybe some sort of street race, illegal street race, I think, where someone goes over the line or gets I think, too deep. I think uh, Vin Diesel, <laughs> Vin Diesel, and Robert Rodriguez have to meet at the Spartacus Steps uh, on the, on the <laughs> <laughs> Universal Studios backlot. We are looking for that button to put on this podcast. We are looking for it, and unfortunately, it's a button fly. And that's not uh, all right, that is. Uh, I think that's the. Um, that's our list that we have from the internet. So it can't be wrong of summer <laughs> movies. Did, did we there leave are no some other movies coming out this summer at right. all? Yeah. Well, the one. I mean, a big the like the indie one, the kind of quirky thing in the Juno mold. I don't know if it's the Juno mold or if Juno is kind of uh, an exemplar of the style that we really should call something other style, the quirky indie style, the uh, Jim Jarmusch, you know, I guess, ultimately sort of style, uh, was uh, Away We Go with Maya Rudolph and uh, that guy from The Office. Jim Krasnowski, Krasnowski, he's from Boston, yay! He's on the cover of magazines around here a lot. <laughs> the guy oh, from the office for being right? for being from Boston and yeah. for being a sort of fair to middling movie star. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there was that. I mean, we didn't talk about it at all, but it hasn't been getting any of the any of the crazy press, you know, that the other movies have. I wonder how he's doing. Would Five Hundred Days of Summer is that coming out this summer? It is. It's it's coming out in July. I saw a I saw a you know sneak preview of it uh, about a week ago. And it's it's very much an indie movie. It's on a scale of zero to one. It's about one point oh eight indie movies. Wait, is it more or less of an indie movie than Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull? Because that really wasn't kind of an indie movie, but it's branded itself. <laughs> uh, an indie movie. Uh, what? Uh, uh, I should have ended. Uh, oh well. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I can make my favorite indie movie trivia question of all time if you want to hear it. My favorite indie movie trivia question. What's that? Well, at, at this point, yes. Prior to my big fat Greek wedding, what was the highest grossing independent film of all time? Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that, that was that was produced by a studio. I'm yeah, it was sure. a studio. This was a <laughs> studio. No, you're movie. right. And we called the dog Indiana, John. <laughs> <laughs> Blair, which project? No, the answer to the question is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which was produced by New Line Cinema, which has since been bought by Time Warner, but which at the time, and also by Jim Henson Studios, which wasn't a movie studio at the time. Um, but yeah, that's an indie film. I, and I got it because of the long ruminating scenes with Zach Braff agonizing over his 20-something years. Uh, and also the, the nunchucks and the pizza. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was, so yeah. Well, that is, uh, if we've forgotten anything or if you have anything you want to add, email podcast at overthinkingit.com. Call the voicemail at 20 eat log zero one. That's 203-285-6401. Or use the comment form on the site or leave a comment on the show notes. Uh, And as always, visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny... It probably doesn't deserve.
Michael Bay has a huge cock. <laughs>